and welcome to Matt and Kevin Talk Church. Two pastors, two old friends from two different denominations on two different coasts, talking about faith, culture, the Bible, and the ins and outs of church ministry. I'm Matt Curtis, pastor of Decision Life Church in Redwood, California. And I'm Kevin Sheehan, associate pastor of Reformed Presbyterian Church in Ephrata, Pennsylvania. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. Hey, it's a Christmas edition of the podcast. Last time we did uh, a, a quarantine Christmas, a Matt and Kevin holiday special. <laughs> right. <laughs> or, yeah. Uh, this just sounds like a Hallmark movie to us. But uh, so this. No, but you know that Hallmark movie's coming, a quarantine Christmas with Cameron, you know, Candace Cameron Burr, whatever. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. How do we you could fall write in it love right during, now? But... Yeah, we probably could. Yeah. How do you fall in love yeah. with a, a stranger while you're in quarantine? I don't know. And you curiously have all this free time. But anyway, um, <laughs> at least it would make sense that they have free time because they're in quarantine. Not, right. that, not that life slows down, not that I'm, you know, stopped working or right. have kids running around like crazy. But yeah, that's beside the point. Anyway, uh, yeah, we're planning on airing this on December 22nd, if all goes according Which to Which is my wife's birthday, by the way. Happy ha- birthday, Anita. Happy birthday. Your, your, your gift has been purchased. So there we are. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Not that she's listening to this. No, she's probably, she's definitely not. (laughs) But just in case someone else hears it, they can kind of pass the word along, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, in fairness to Anita, like if there are listeners out there going, your, your wife doesn't listen to your podcast. She's got a 14 year old, a six year old and a four month old that she's managing. So I don't know when, and, and you Well, and well, well, exactly. So like when, when exactly she would find time to listen to said podcast, I don't know, but she listens so to get you off talking her back, enough. everybody. Jeez. <laughs> she listens anyway. to you talking us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Matt, what would you like to talk about today with everyone besides your wife? Well, by uh, by everyone, you that's, mean, that's you know, sounds, that sounds I'm bad. Like, <laughs> like you're talking behind your wife's back, but no, no, I mean, no, with all of our dear listeners. Right. So it's Christmas. It's, it is Christmas. And so, and so Merry Christmas, Kevin. Merry Christmas. And Merry Christmas, listeners. I thought it'd be good to talk about uh, just the incarnation. And by the incarnation, we mean Jesus' uh, birth and really his life. Because the incarnation isn't just Christmas, actually. It's all of it, just as an aside. Um, and so this last week at church, we were talking about it from Joseph's perspective. We went over the the scene in Matthew 1 where... Um, Joseph gets, you know, has gotten word that his wife or not his wife, but his betrothed. And just one of the things we talked about is that we hear that word betrothed and we think it means engaged. Um, But in the ancient Near East and even in the even in even in the Middle East today, their whole approach around engagement, betrothal and marriage is very different than how we do it in the West. And so there, there's really three stages. There's like the engagement where usually the, the parents or maybe a professional matchmaker arranges a marriage, right? So, so this was probably arranged between Joseph's family and Mary's family, probably sometime before that. And then uh, after that, there's the betrothal. And during the betrothal, uh, that's the period where really they're, they're legally, there's, there's a, it's legally binding at that point where there's just a significant uh, connection. It's more than engagement. It's, it's deeper than that. So his discovering that 
she's with child during the betrothal is really a giant and huge deal. And so it's not quite the same as, oh, well, he'll just call off the wedding and it's no big deal. Um, there are real uh, consequences to that. And so when he gets this news, uh, Joseph really has three options available to him. He can have her stoned. And by stoned, I mean they throw rocks at her until she's dead. Um, that's what that's how they would have handled that, according to Deuteronomy 22, I think. And so uh, that's an option available to him. Option two. He can make a really big public spectacle of it and see in partly to like recover some of the like shame and dishonor done to his family. Cause this is an honor, this is an honor and shame culture. And so he's got to deal with that. And his third option, which is the one he goes with because the text tells us he's a, he's a righteous man is just to do it quietly and spare in his little, uh, with, with a, as little embarrassment to both him and his family as possible. Um, and so those are the three options. He can, he can have her killed. He can make a big public spectacle of it, or he can do it quietly. And he would have been under pressure to go with at least option two, if not option one, because, it, because his family name has been besmirched by this happening. It, it would have been a giant deal in ways that we just don't understand today. Yeah. And then there's the whole issue of if he goes forward and marries her, there are people who won't want to do business with him because of the shadiness of what happened, right? He, Nazareth is a small town. There's going to be whispers about it for the rest of his days. And so he, uh, he so he's thinking about this. And while he's thinking about it, the text says an angel appears to him in a dream and tells him three things. Well, two and a half things. <laughs> the angel says, Hey, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what because because she's pregnant because of the because the lord is doing something that is bigger than what that is a much bigger deal than your present circumstances there's more going on here than you can see joseph and it just struck me that christmas is a reminder that even in the midst of our mess and our difficulty that it's possible that there's more going on than we can see right that that, that there is way more going on than we could possibly see and maybe the difficult circumstances we have us that we're in uh, that the Lord is working in ways we can't see. Now I'm not saying that, you know, your difficulty is going to result in, you know, the son of God being born, but it could be that there's something else going on that is bigger than you can see. And then he says this, he says, his name will be called Jesus and he's going to, and he's going to save his people from their sins. And what he's saying here is Joseph, you're, the situation you're in, the pain you're experiencing, the difficulty you're facing, the despair you're, face, you're, you're dealing with, the responses of all the people around you that are going to happen as a result of it, all of those are symptomatic of a deeper problem, and that deeper problem is sin. And what I'm going to do, Joseph, is I'm going to pull that problem out by its root. I'm going to do more than just deal with your circumstances. I'm going to deal with the root problem. And what Christmas is, is it's an opportunity for us to remember that Jesus came to deal with all of the brokenness we're facing at its root. Not just to fix or put a Band-Aid on it, but to finally and completely defeat sin. And then he says, and then the third thing he says, or it's kind of a, 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 the second part of, of the second thing he said, is he says, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us, which is so what he's saying is even in the difficulty and the mess and the pain and the brokenness, all of which is what which which is wrought by sin, 
he is in you with it. He is not far away. He's near. Then in the ashes of your broken dreams, that's where you'll find Jesus, uh, that he's with you. And Christmas reminds us that he is with us in our mess. Because look, Christmas is messy. Families are messy. Uh, it's interestingly, like suicides go up in December, right? Yeah. And, and, and what Christmas is supposed to do, I think, at least one of the things it's supposed to do is supposed to recalibrate us towards, no, we're not alone. God is not far, far off, but he's near. And he's near to us even in, the, even in our brokenness, even in, even in our sin. In fact, the, the scripture says that he loved us and died for us, not when we were clean and good and happy and shiny, but while we were sinners and enemies of him. And that's, that, and that's in that context that he comes. And so Christmas is a reminder that he draws near even when, we're, when we are our least lovely selves. Yeah. Um, and so Joseph, so what happens next? So here's what, so here's what happens next. So Joseph has learned that his betrothed is basically his wife. She's like legally his wife. They just haven't come together yet, which means all of his dreams for what his wedding was going to be like are dashed. Right. And how his family was going to start are dashed. All of that. None of that's happening. That even the celebration he hoped for isn't happening. How it was going to happen. He, he, gets to, he gets told that there's more going on here than you know. I'm going to deal with sin at its root, and God is with you. And when he wakes up, his response to having been um, having an encounter with God is he obeys. Yeah, he does not hesitate to take Mary as his wife. He keeps her a virgin until uh, at such time the baby is born. And he uh, walks in obedience to everything that the angel said. And so what Christmas does reminds us that, that Emmanuel, God with us, what it does is it empowers us to obey. It doesn't earn, it doesn't merit Joseph anything, right? Because the privilege of getting to like raise Jesus has nothing to do with him. But out of response to God being with him, to him being present with him in the mess, to the good news about sin finally being dealt with, his response to all of that is he obeys. And so one of the things Christmas can do is it can, it can cause us to ask ourselves, like, what area of obedience do I, do I need to walk in, in, in response to God being with us? What part of myself am I holding back? What, what step of faith do I need to take in light of Christ having come? And so these are, those are just some of the things I've been thinking about as I've been looking at, as we were looking at Joseph's story, the difficulty he faced, how costly it was. I think what happened for Joseph is, is he, I, I, I'm, this is just my, me using my imagination, but I imagine he's running some kind of analysis where sins being forgiven is being held up next to his good reputation, right? Mm -hmm. And he decides that the forgiveness of sin is better than his reputation in Nazareth. Yeah. He decides that the forgiveness of sins is better than success in business. He decides uh, that Sins being forgiven and Emmanuel, God with us, is better than his married life getting started off how he hoped it would. Like, uh, he decides that all of that, that he betrayed all of that for Jesus. Uh, that what he does is his dreams are dashed and he trains it and he trades it in for a better one. Namely, God, God with us. And I think walking with Jesus, well, we have to make a similar sort of analysis. Do we regard him as better than a good reputation? 
Do we regard him as better than being successful as the world would count it? Do we regard him as being better than all of our wakeful dreams coming true? And maybe uh, we don't, won't have to pay the same kind of cost that Joseph did. There's no doubt there were whispers about Joseph behind his back for the rest of his days. Right? Like we can imagine right. that that was probably the case. Right. But in the end, he believed that Jesus' name, Jesus, by the way, means Yahweh saves, was worth it. And the question is, do we? So, so, th- so that's just some of the stuff I've been ruminating on as I've been thinking about our own Christmas traditions and celebrations and all of it. Yeah, that's great. Amen. Yeah. Yeah, that's all, that's all really good stuff. It's interesting to really take a closer look at Joseph. And I mean, really the Christmas story, it's, it's one of those where we almost know it too well or think we know it too well. Yeah. But there's really a lot more going on than, than uh, yeah. we often give credit for, especially when we take a close look and, and kind of yeah. read out some of just like the cultural stuff that we read into it. Yeah. Um, I read an interesting book like last year or some point, I forget something called reading the scripture through Western eyes or something like that. Oh yeah. Yeah. We um, talked about that. I recommended that book too. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there's a bit in there about the whole Christmas story and how basically how to read it better, uh, more carefully. And, uh, it was really helpful to me, um, to recognize again, some of what you just said about just the context and what would have been the norm in the ancient Near East in terms of how things happened that help us understand, you know, really what was going on and really some of the pressures that were being faced by all of the characters involved, really. I mean, all of them yeah. were uh, kind of put in a but crucible. Joseph of is for sure losing face by not holding Mary to account or whatever. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. It, yeah. And one of the things that, you know, I remember this author pointed out was that contrary to our common perception of things, they likely were not traveling by themselves we have we have this picture of like it's just joseph and mary on the donkey you know going to bethlehem and uh they point out it's like well no it's a census like everyone's going to bethlehem like all of their families are going to bethlehem they all would have been on the way and so they weren't traveling by themselves they were very much very public you know and likely wherever they were staying the reason why there's no room and it was crowded was because all their family was with them and that again just sort of like heightens the it heightens yeah. the story and the and the and the drama of the story when you realize Mary and Joseph are living this out in front of everybody, their whole families, their whole extended families. It's not just like they're having like this quiet moment to themselves where it's like, oh, look, an angel. I'm gonna give birth to Jesus. Yay, how quaint and lovely. It's like, no, this is, you know, kind of as you point out, like this is it's really messy. There's a lot of tension and drama, and there's yeah. a lot on the line, and there's a lot of you know, uh, reputation and a lot of other things at stake here. And, you know, Joseph is trying to explain to his, you know, mother-in-law that it wasn't him that got her pregnant. It was an angel. It wasn't me. Yeah. I mean, you know what I mean? Like how does Joseph go about trying to explain this to people? And everyone just looks at him like he's crazy. You know what I mean? Uh, well, like we all have like weird conversations at Christmas, like with family members or we're like, can you imagine like, yeah. uh, well, See, here's what happened the thing. Was, like, <laughs> no, no, I swear like, the angel told me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sure, Joseph. You know what I mean? Like, how does Joseph get out of this one? You know, he, he really doesn't. And you know, like you said, you're using your sanctified imagination a little bit there to kind of try to posit right. what perhaps Joseph did or what was going on. Um, but we are told that he was a 
that that he was a righteous man and so yeah. it's not off the mark for him to now how much he really understood about what he was doing like we don't know how much choice he really had in the matter well you know, I, who knows but i think part of like why that's there because he would have cared a lot about the law yeah and about like yeah. the sexual purity laws in deuteronomy 22 for example he would have known well and so mary coming up pregnant like that's Again, we don't we don't have anything like that. Like we, our culture just doesn't have. We wouldn't be like, shocked even, by anything like like that. E- yeah. even in the fifties or whatever when that was like, um, you know, t- more taboo than it is now. Like we just don't. It's not even close. Yeah, yeah. We don't understand. Like we don't. Have, we were not in a shame on our culture where somehow it brings dishonor to him and his family. Right. You know, like we just don't have. I mean. Yeah, we really so don't. What, so, and so even his, even his, even before he's heard from the angel and going, I'm going to do this quietly, says something about him. Anyway, yeah. we've, well, I've one thing on that it. I, you know, I, I mentioned that I've mentioned this before, and I've made this observation before different texts in scripture is the Holy Spirit has a way of leading us into trouble. <laughs> yeah. Or you know, in trouble, meaning like opposition with prevailing human traditions or norms yeah. or values. Right. We, we see that time and again with the disciples. We're like, we're going to follow Jesus. Great. And then they're put in this place where they're at odds with the Pharisees who they would have admired. Yeah. And it's like, this is, this has got to be super uncomfortable for them. Yeah. Like we thought following Jesus would be like this wonderfully enchanting experience or whatever. And what happens is that following Jesus gets them into trouble a lot. Yeah. And, and I think, I don't think a whole lot's changed. You know what I mean? Like, I think if we're, if we're faithfully following Jesus, the Holy Spirit's going to lead us into trouble. Yeah. You know, like it's going to, we're going to have to go against prevailing human traditions and norms and yep. values at certain times. Yeah. I was highlighting that a little bit, not in those words yesterday and my sermon. And when that, when that first part, um, now the birth of Jesus Christ took plot, took place in this way. And then we read right plot, right past that in this way. But to me, part of what that highlights is, God could have chosen a bunch of other ways to do this, but he chose to do it in this particular way with these yeah. particular people subverting these particular set of expectations. Right. Right. Um, like he could have chosen a much less, um, a, a less messy way to do it, I guess. But yeah, here we are. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, the point being like your own mess may have purpose too. Well, hey, second half of the show, we're going to share with you a Christmas hymn. I don't know if it's a Christmas hymn, but it's Christmas and it's a hymn. So we're going to go with that. That really speaks in in some of the same, uh, speaks to some of the same concepts, really. So we'll take a little bit of a break here. Go get yourself a glass of eggnog or whatever your favorite Christmas beverage is. And we'll be back 30 seconds. Hey, welcome back, everybody. It's Matt and Kevin. We are still talking church, and we've been talking Christmas because it is Christmas time. So, wow, imagine that. So, first half of the show, Matt was sharing with us a bit what he was, uh, from his sermon on Sunday, really encouraging us to take a look at the Christmas story through the lens of Joseph and a fresh look, a fresh take on just how dramatic and tension-filled and what it really cost Joseph that it, that it was not, you know, again, we have a very simplistic and kind of happy, cheery Christmas story, but it really was, uh, it was messy and it cost Joseph a lot. And uh, there's a reason scripture says he was a righteous man. Uh, and quite possibly he gave up quite a bit 
for the sake of being the earthly father of Jesus. So second half of the show, going to switch gears a little bit. I just wanted to share a Christmas hymn that I heard recently. And just sort of, it struck me. It's one of those, sometimes you're just listening to stuff and it's just in the background. And every now and then you hear something, you kind of stop and you just have to stop what you're doing and listen for a while. And uh, I had that experience recently, um, which is just nice, actually. It's a good experience to stop and listen to music more. I should do it more than I do. And uh, I had to look up the lyrics to it. And I just, it was a beautiful tune and beautiful lyrics. And so I wanted to share that. So Kevin's going to sing, everybody. Get ready. It's going to share the lyrics, not the tune. Oh, that? man. Be... I was really hoping it was going to be Kevin sings on Matt and Kevin Talk to No, no. You would, you would regret that decision quickly. And probably nobody wants that. Yeah. 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 yeah me included. So uh, the, the song, and I'm, I'm guessing somebody out there is familiar with it. It's been around a long time. It's called Low. Low, which obviously, you know, it's an old song when it starts with low. Lo, how a rose air blooming. This isn't on the new uh, Taylor Swift album. This, I, I seriously no. doubt it. Okay. We'll see if we can get her to do a cover sometime. But Okay. Okay. T Swift. Let's, <laughs> let's get sure, it done. I'm sure she's listening. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. All right, so she and Anita both. Anyway. For, <laughs> hey, they've never been seen in the same room together. So, well, you know. Yeah. All right. Anyway. So uh, here's how it goes. Lo, how a rose air blooming from tender stem hath sprung of Jesse's lineage coming as men of old have sung. It came a flower bright amid the cold of winter when half gone was the night. So I'll stop there. I kind of just take one stance at a time. There's three of them. But the whole, the whole song, as I kind of look at it and look at the words, it's, it's using the image of a rose to stand in the place of Jesus's birth, Jesus's incarnation. And it's this picture of a rose that blooms in the middle of winter, right? And blooms and it talks about this rose is of Jesse's lineage. Um, so obviously referring to the fact that this is the rod of Jesse and Jesse's descendant and all that. It came a flower bright amid the cold of winter when half gone was the night. And one of the repeats throughout this song is, is again, the image of, of this rose, this beautiful flower springing up in the midst of darkness and coldness, which not only speaks to the biblical moment in which Jesus came, but also I think speaks to our moment now. So verse two, Isaiah twas foretold it, the rose I have in mind with Mary, we behold it, the virgin mother kind to show God's love aright. She bore to men a savior. When half gone was the night. So again, obvious uh, reference to Isaiah's prophecy of the Savior of the Messiah. This rose I have in mind. Um, with Mary we behold it, the Virgin Mother kind to show God's love aright. She bore to men a Savior. Just the idea that Jesus has come to show God's love, right? It, you know, ultimately, you boil it down. It's Jesus came to show that God's love was on mankind, despite the fact that we're sinful despite the fact that we've fallen, despite the fact that the world is broken. And in the image of this song, uh, that it's dark, half gone was the night. Last verse, this flower whose fragrance tender with sweetness fills the air, dispels with glorious splendor the darkness everywhere. True man, yet very God, from sin and death he saves us, enlightens every load. 
And I just love the imagery again, you know, this flower talking about Jesus, whose fragrance tender with sweetness fills the air. Talk about just the aroma of Christ that just is sweet to those who, uh, who have come to love him and dispels the darkness with glorious splendor. Like it's just a beautiful image of what, what Jesus accomplishes in his coming that the incarnation comes into a dark world and dispels the darkness with glorious splendor. And then there's almost like a confessional, you know, true man, yet very God's very kind of Nicene Creedish from sin and death. He saves us and lightens every load. And you just hear, you know, Matthew 11, 28 through 30 in there, you know, come to me all who are weary and heavy, heavy burdened. Uh, and I will give you rest. Um, and then from sin and death, he saves us. You know, just obviously just a very clear sort of understanding of what it is that Christ does in his coming to us is that he, he saves us from our sin, um, not necessarily in his incarnation, but in his life and his death and his resurrection saves us from sin and our own death. So anyway, you know, I heard this, this hymn recently, uh, and I just, I just sort of stopped and it was kind of a familiar tune. Like I wasn't like really familiar with it, but I've heard it somewhere before, you know? And so I heard it and I was like, Oh, where do I know this from? And I started paying more attention to the words itself went back and listened to it again because I didn't catch it all the first time and then looked up the, you know, just Googled the lyrics of it um, and just sort of sat with it for a while and just, and just thought, man, this is pretty deep. Not only is it a deep sort of interpretation of some of the old Testament prophecies and tying it into this metaphor of Jesus being a rose, a flower with fragrance tender, uh, but also singing of like what, what it does, what he accomplishes that this is a savior who dispels darkness, who saves us from sin and death. Like that's all true. And I think, you know, biblically accurate and all that kind of stuff. And that's good. And it's sort of a good reimagining and, and use of, uh, of, of, of symbolism and, and imagery. And I think maybe I just sort of found it touching to me, particularly maybe for whatever reason that struck me um, this year, just this, the idea of God, springing up out of the cold, dark winter. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whatever you're going through in life right now, that's distasteful, uncomfortable, painful, whatever it might be. You may not think of it as a cold, dark winter, but <laughs> maybe that's a helpful way of thinking of it, at least in terms of appreciating this song. But I'm sure all of us have something that feels like a cold, dark winter. I mean, maybe for some, it's a little bit frosty and maybe for some, it's a blizzard. But there's something in which, you know, uh, uh, the Lord comes into. And you said this a little bit in the first half. The Lord comes into our messiness, our brokenness, our darkness. He steps right into it. He comes alongside us. He walks alongside us. This doesn't just happen sort of on some you know, conceptual plane or high above us, you know, but this picture of a flower being, you know, coming up out of the snow and the dark one, you know, this picture of this fragility of this flower. And in many respects, when Jesus came, he, he was fully human. So he had the same fragility as all humans do. And so I, I love that idea that Jesus shares in that aspect of our humanity as well the aspect of our humanity that shivers in the cold and is scared of the dark and is just, you know, un uncomfortable has to just live with the 
all the stuff of life, hmm. you know, and yet this, this flower, this rose air blooming also accomplishes mighty things because this flower is not, you know, merely true man, but also yet very God. And so this savior, Jesus comes and kind of in some ways because of, and through his fragility died for us and then rose again. I was going to say, did you ever notice, I didn't really notice this until this, this weekend, the book of Matthew kind of bookends with God with us. It begins with the, well, not literally begins, but towards the very beginning, he's saying to Joseph, Emmanuel, God with us. Right. And then and in the end, in chapter with... 20, it's, and lo, I am with you always, even, even to the, to the, the end age. of the age. Yeah. And so, so, so this idea of like God being with us is, car- is really supposed to carry all the way through. Yeah. It, it's, it's sort yeah. of a comprehensive statement of the Lord's relationship with his people. Yeah, that God is always with us. I mean, it, I mean, in some way you look at like just the big picture narrative of the Bible. It starts with in the garden, and God was with Adam and Eve, walking among them. I mean, like literally walking with them, you know. And it ends with us with God in the heavenly city, right? And yeah. and so really, kind of everything, everything in between is, you know, getting us from point A to point B, right? Kind of restoring that that nearness that we have with the Lord. Yep. But the promise is always there in one form or another. God will be with us, whether he's in the tabernacle or the temple or in the body of Jesus or through the Holy Spirit. And then ultimately, again, eventually in the new heavens and new earth, God is with us. Well, that seems like a good place to wrap up, Kevin. So we hope that uh, what you've heard today has been helpful or edifying in some way. If you uh, want to just email in and ask us questions or talk more about uh, Christmas and what it, and what meaning you're getting out of the text as you've been looking at it. And you can email us at Matt and Kevin Talk Church at gmail.com or you can tweet at us at MKTC on Twitter. With that being said, I'm Matt. And I'm Kevin. And we've been talking church and the incarnation. Be warm and be fed. <laughs>